One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, and today I want to talk about uh, an aspect of Nazi state repression that I think goes slightly overlooked sometimes, but I think is hugely important. And it was the incarceration of those considered to be asocial. Now, if you consider the origins of um, Nazi policy uh, were based in racial thinking then you can see the treatment of asocials, of those who did not fit into the Nazi social schema, as being uh, an, an aspect of racial policy. Hitler wanted not only to um, create discriminatory legislation and repression uh, against uh, the, the Jews and uh, ethnic minorities within Germany, such as the, the Roma or the black Germans, um, but also to what he, what he viewed as being to reform and to uh, eradicate the social ballast of uh, Aryan Germans. So his treatment of uh, asocial uh, or kind of misfit or degenerate um, Aryan Germans was part of his development, his transformation as he saw it, of the Aryan race and by extension a racial policy in its own right. So for this today we're going to return to the brilliant work of Nicholas Rashtman. Now if you listen to this podcast very regularly you'll know that I've used Rashtman's brilliant book KL as a guide to understanding the camp system uh, and really, it's uh, a, a foremost piece of scholarship. Um, Nicholas Vashtman writes, Heinrich Himmler had big plans for his camps. In a secret speech in November 1937, he told SS leaders that he expected the three KL for men, Dachau, Sachsenhausen and Buchenwald, to hold 20,000 prisoners in all, uh, and even more in the case of war. This was an ambitious aim at a time when his camps held fewer than 8,000 prisoners. 
but Himmler's target was quickly reached and exceeded in 1938-39, during a frantic period that saw the foundation of three camps at Flossenburg, Mauthausen and Ravensbrück. Thanks to large-scale police raids, prisoner numbers climbed fast and by the end of June 1938, there were already 24,000 or more inmates in the camps, a threefold increase in just six months. Even that was not enough for police and SS leaders, who soon envisaged a further rise to 30,000 inmates and more. As the size of the prisoner population changed, so did its composition, moving ever, ever further away from the preponderance of left-wing German prisoners that characterised the camps early on. Camp SS officials struggled to keep up with all the new prisoner groups. In Sachsenhausen, for example, five separate prisoner groups in early 1937 became 12 groups in late 1939. Among the new prisoners were thousands of foreigners after Nazi leaders began to flex their muscles on the international stage. Of course, this would have meant um, the uh, annexation of Czechoslovakia, um, of the Sudetenland, and then the rest of the uh, Czech provinces of Czechoslovakia. Um, so what happened in the, uh, with the expansion of the camps, uh, as was mentioned there, was this change in demographics. And that surely must have meant a repurposing of the camps the, as uh, instead of being tools to um, break the left, which was already fundamentally broken by um, the mid-1930s, soon they become machines for reforming souls. And in this way, they have slightly more um, to do, a slightly more kind of resemblance to the Gulag system. Though bear in mind, uh, the Gulag system was uh, about trying to create uh, proletarians, trying to, make, trying to bring about a kind of a class-based change in uh, the, uh, the thinking of its inmates. Um, trying to also extract as much uh, labour, uh, as, as much value from uh, workers as possible. Whereas the, the German camps were uh, about some kind of racial uh, reformation, some racial kind of reclamation, uh, and at least initially, uh, during the, the, the later 1930s, as the camps begin to swell and new categories of prisoner emerge, so the focus on reform gradually dims. One interesting aspect that um, Nicholas Fashman uh, mentions in the, the book KL is what happened when the Anschluss in 1938, the union between Germany and Austria, uh, occurs. And on the 1st of April, um, a newly created uh, criminal police office in uh, Vienna sent the first transport of Austrian prisoners, of which many of whom uh, weren't um, communists, but they were the old members of the uh, the political oligarch, the, politi the political elite in Austria. They sent them to Dachau, um, for, uh, and they were singled out for uh, extreme violence and abuse. For a long time... We Austrians were the main attraction in the camp, said the uh, political leader, the nationalist leader, Fritz Buck. But of course it was Vienna's Jews who were deported to the camps uh, in the largest numbers um, of the 7,861 Austrian men 
who were taken to the camps, 80% of them were Jews. Um, the Czech prisoners were treated uh, in largely the same way. But let us come on now to the focus of um, this podcast, which was the uh, attack on those who were considered to be asocial. So Nicholas Vashman writes, The pursuit of social deviance was a major part of the Nazi policy of exclusion, aimed at removing all those who did not or could not fit into the mythical national community. So this idea of a people's community, the Volksgemeinschaft, um, was far from being an egalitarian uh, community of all Germans. It was designed to be a, a racial community where uh, the German people were united in racial struggle. That meant that those who could uh, participate in this were valued, those who could fight or who could work were valued, and those who could not were seen as, um, so, as I mentioned this term, social ballast. These were the sort of people who needed to be removed from the race one way or another and who needed to stop being a burden. It was Hitler's contention that it was uh, the weakness of Germany uh, in allowing these people to exist, allowing those who uh, could not fend for themselves to uh, be a drain on the German nation uh, that was partly responsible for the loss of World War I. The approaches to dealing with the poor, the unemployed, the mentally ill, the alcoholic... Uh, depressed and the generally unable, the chaotic and the unable to cope um, strata of German society. Many of these kind of prejudices and, and beliefs about the poor predated the Nazis. There were those um, public officials that had various utopian ideas about finally uh, ending uh, all social ills, um, of incarcerating people until they learned to function. Um, there were those who were racial thinkers and racial hygienists uh, who believed in the sterilisation of the poor. Um, there were those who thought that, um, as Victorians believed with the workhouse, that by terrorising the poor, they would suddenly find themselves in gainful employment. They would suddenly decide that living off state handouts was a luxury that they were un unable to sustain. So this um, was a war really waged against the poorest Germans and those that existed on the fringes of society um, that uh, had begun uh, actually in the Weimar era with uh, cuts in welfare benefits and those continued in the Nazi era um, and constant surveillance um, as well uh, as finally in, under the Nazis then into um, detention into um, the traditional uh, prisons and workhouses, but also, finally, into concentration camps. Uh, concentration camps were s seen, in the case of the asocials, as being a, a means of either incarcerating them so they were no longer a nuisance, or trying to get some kind of useful, productive labour out of them. Himmler viewed them simply as being uh, members of the criminal classes, now, it's no doubt likely that many of the asocials had uh, criminal histories or they had uh, criminal behaviours partly by necessity, partly through hardship, partly because of uh, an inability to socially function, 
um, and some would have been um, petty criminals part of the time and able to work and uh, function on some level uh, at others. Um, but Himmler, in declaring the asocials um, criminal, um, placed them as a kind of a, a priority. The eradication of criminality was, was a priority. Um, in 1933, he said this sort of so quite early, right at the beginning of the Nazi regime. Uh, in the months ahead, he um, developed this vision uh, of policing as being a kind of a, a social cleaning task. Um, the early camps um, were places of detention, uh, uh, retribution, and uh, correction. So Nicholas Vashman writes. Himmler's approach altered his model camp, um, Dachau, already from summer 1933, when the police dragged the first alleged criminals and vagrants inside. Their numbers soon increased, after the police arrested tens of thousands of beggars and homeless in nationwide raids in September 1933. Although the authorities quickly released most detainees, some ended up for longer uh, in camps and workhouses. Just a year after the SS had set up Dachau, uh, the composition of its prisoner population had changed markedly. Political prisoners still accounted for the great majority of all Bavarian inmates in protective custody, but their proportion had fallen to around 80% by April 1934, with social outsiders making up the rest. Uh, among uh, them were 142 work-shy men. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 96 national pests and 82 men accused of asocial behavior, which could mean all sorts of things. A social behaviour uh, could mean uh, perhaps vagrancy, some sort of deviancy, uh, some kind of uh, inability to cope or function in society, perhaps addiction or alcoholism. And that's the point, really, in that it was 
easy to be accused of asocial behaviour or being work shy um, by neighbours, by those who believed it was their appointed duty to inform uh, in the interests of the of the Reich, um, and for a judge or for um, a Gestapo man taking an individual into protective custody to agree that this was generally the case and that something must be done. So it was a system based on assumptions, based on prejudice, with uh, no real evidence of any kind of uh, actual need to detain an individual. Um, and the belief was that ultimately the camps would do this individual a lot of good. It would be hard and it would be brutal, but that's what would bring out the best in the individual in the end. Now, there was a, a fascinating exchange of letters between the uh, Gauleiter of uh, Bavaria, um, of the governor uh, uh, von Epp, uh, and Himmler. Von Epp was concerned that prisoner numbers were going through the roof in places like Dachau. And he wrote to Himmler uh, saying that there really was no reason for arresting all these kind of random down-and-outs and people, uh, petty criminals, uh, and that it was destroying the whole point of the camps, which was to target the communists and to, to break the back of communism and uh, trade unionism in Germany. Uh, and Himmler responded to him, saying, The observation that the that imposition of protective custody for alcoholism, firewood theft, embezzlement of monies belonging to organisations, immoral lifestyles, work shirking, etc., does not quite correspond to the letter of the valid regulations is entirely accurate. It does, however, correspond to national socialist sentiment. So Himmler was happy to say, look, yeah, sure, we're overstepping what the camps are, are in the letter of the law meant for anyway, and we're doing it right from the get-go. But this is what Nazism really is all about. It is about order. It is about sweeping up the riffraff. It is about punishment. It is about ensuring that uh, the right kinds of German people are produced and that those that cannot uh, fit into this system uh, should, be, um, uh, sh should be crushed by it. Uh, as far as uh, Himmler was concerned, it was national socialist sentiment, it was the values of Nazism that were far more important than anything else. That these um, dealt a kind of a, a killer blow to any other consideration and that they came above the law, that the spirit of Nazism was better and was more significant and important than any kind of um, legal consideration or anything that had, was put forward by any petty-fogging bureaucrat. Himmler also argued that the, the courts were incapable of dealing effectively with asocial people. Um, he believed that the courts handed down slap-on-the-wrist sentences and um, petty fines for miscreant behaviour and that the uh, individuals continued to re-offend and make a general nuisance of themselves. And so the only way to deal with them was to take them out of society permanently and to place them in the camps where they would be uh, regimented for possibly years, perhaps even for the rest of their lives. 
and Himmler pointed out in his uh, own kind of uh, limited fashion that this had led to a dramatic decline in crime in Bavaria. And I suppose in one way you could say that it had, but in another way one could argue that crime had simply been nationalised and now the great criminal was the state. Because Himmler and ultimately Hitler were the great authorisers of policy, across Germany initiatives to uh, criminalise the poor um, became, um, came from below. They became grassroots initiatives uh, that sprung up almost spontaneously without the general direction of uh, the Nazi leadership. Uh, in Hamburg in 1933 to 34, um, there were uh, hundreds of um, asocial people, pimps, beggars, and homeless people um, who were arrested, uh, along with thousands of female prostitutes, many women who had had to resort to prostitution to survive the Great Depression. Um, they were, these were individuals who were arrested en, en masse. Um, Nazi officials across Germany um, took part in what was known in September uh, to October 1933 as the Beggar Raid um, and the first concentration camp exclusively for beggars was established at Meseritz in Posen. Indefinite sentences were handed down um, from November 1933 uh, onwards uh, for uh, persistent uh, habitual criminals. The judges were able to give defendants custodial sentences that would then be followed by an open-ended security confinement. So one would go to prison for you know, five years or three years or whatever it was, and thereafter you'd be transported from prison to a concentration camp. And by 1939, 10,000 of these sentences had been passed, and they were basically put, uh, passed against uh, minor, uh, minor thieves uh, and burglars, um, the poor, basically, those who, through um, economic circumstances, were forced to, uh, to steal, or those who had grown up in cultures of uh, criminal behaviour and that sort of thing. Prussian police officers didn't think that the, the law was particularly useful, um, and they thought that it was only targeted at those who would be found guilty of committing new crimes. Um, they believed that in order to deal with the professional criminals um, who couldn't be brought to court due to the insufficient evidence, um, and in order to do this, and Hermann Goering agreed, um, and in order to do this, uh, preventative police custody was introduced in November 1933. And that meant that the Prussian criminal police could hold on to people they considered to be professional criminals and place them in state concentration camps without a trial or sentence, uh, meaning that um, arbitrary arrests on the streets um, were possible um, and happened on a regular basis. Um, and it was the um, allegation that the person had some kind of alleged criminal intent um, that was the, the, the damning factor, and that's all um, the, the Prussian state police needed. 
When the Prussian criminal police um, uh, put these, uh, gained these laws, they didn't actually envisage mass arrests. However, the, that is ultimately what occurred. They, the senior police officers were sure that there was just a small group of hardcore offenders who were responsible for most crimes against property, most burglaries, um, and that the arrest of a few of them would deter the others. However, uh, the um, initial limit on prisoners arrested was 165. This was quickly raised to 525 at first. Um, these men were gathered in Lichtenberg, um, where soon they actually made up a majority of the, the inmates in, in prison. The small number of arrests, despite the small number of arrests, the Prussian uh, initiative showed um, that there was a new, now a radical new approach to what we think of as being preventative policing. Uh, and this was something that could be rolled out across the nation uh, in future. One of the uh, practical applications of the removal of uh, asocials from the streets um, was the presentation of Germany as a, a clean and civilised and progressive nation during the uh, 1936 Berlin uh, Olympics. In Bavaria, uh, there were 300 beggars and vagabonds in the summer of 1936 who were sent to um, Dachau. Um, on top of this, the um, authorities were looking for what they referred to as indecent individuals. So prostitutes, for example, were taken to uh, Moringen camp. Nicholas Vashtman uh, gives the example of one prostitute uh, called Minna. Minna K, she's referred to as, uh, a 45-year-old who had been arrested many times before um, and was accused of drunken attempts to capture women, uh, capture men in seedy bars, um, and this uh, undermining police efforts to keep the town's streets and establishments clean in the moral respect, and uh, thereby endangering public order and the Nazi state. So these were people who were ultimately, uh, ultimately harmless, um, and whose lives were often, well, almost always, uh, chaotic and already uh, highly damaged, um, and they were not considered to fit into the new racial model of Germany or be part of the new public face of Germany. And, of course, it goes without saying that the conditions for the uh, asocial inmates of the camps, uh, for those who were still incarcerated when the war began, deteriorate substantially uh, over that period. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening, and I hope you found that useful and interesting. I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Do remember to subscribe to this channel, and if you can support us at all by visiting our Patreon page, I would be very grateful. Anyway, thanks very much for your time, and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 